are again. Here we are. Here we go. Back in the present. Again on our own. <laughs> no longer pre-recorded. Still pre-recorded, but not quite so far in advance. Yeah, not two years before. <laughs> yes. So we're um, in the present. We're not time traveling anymore. There's yes. a train that's going to go past. And there are kittens playing around somewhere. So There are. If you hear any strange noises. It's them. <laughs> and definitely not a person that you have imprisoned yeah. in your house. In your laundry. Edgar. <laughs> or or anyone of any name. Just kittens. If you hear something strange, it's kittens. Oh, hey, what are you doing? You wanna record? Burr, burr into the mic. <laughs> You're so cute. Oh hello, he just meowed so small. <laughs> Our well, household it's gonna be very got, distracting. I know our household got kittens because we um, had to put down our thirteen-year-old dog, so we oh, had to channel Milo. that love into something. Yeah, we, I guess because Milo's been featured on this podcast. <laughs> oh yeah, so Milo died. We have, guys. To, we have to make an announcement that poor old Mi- Milo isn't with us anymore. He has departed. He's gone. He's gone to the the big. Dog bed in the sky. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, though we are in the present, this uh, episode, which is on The Handmaid's Tale by Margaret Atwood. Oh, my God. Uh, was written by me over a year ago, I think now. Who are you? What is this show? Why are there kittens here? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm Sandy, and this is illiterature and remain and will remain so. Are you going to ask me who I am? No, I'm, I don't really care. <laughs> All right. Fair play. I'm Sam, though, just in case someone wants to know. <laughs> just in case. Mm, so right. basically, I have no idea what I've written down here. Oh, perfect. We're going to be finding out together, so this probably isn't going to be my best work. <laughs> Let's see what 2020 Sandy was going on about. Let's see what she was up to. Mm. No, 2021. Okay, but, 2021 Sandy. But March 2021, so over a year ago. All right, 2021 Sandy, what was she up to? What thoughts did she have? Let's get into it. Um, So The Handmaid's Tale was published in uh, 1985, I should say. Oh my god, same year that Mario was published. (laughs) What, really? That was the year my parents got married, actually. Oh, I only know that because um, my ex was born the same year that Mario was Oh, yeah. Oh, so he's Mario, Bleep, basically. <laughs> Bleep uh, and Sam aren't dating anymore. She's <laughs> single, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, yeah, she's... Oh, no. <laughs> hit, hit her up. <laughs> or just hit her. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, God. So many things have been happening. Is there anything else we need to update on? <laughs> okay. My dad's still dead. The dog is also dead. The boyfriend mm. is dead emotionally. <laughs> Figuratively. <laughs> But you know what's still alive? This podcast. This podcast. <laughs> so. And also us, surprisingly enough. Yeah, we're doing pretty well, all things considered. Well, speak for yourself. <laughs> I'm doing <a> terribly. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, 1985. Yeah, so, and apparently she was inspired by, like, the um, Islamic rev- revolution in Iran of the 70s, where this big uh, sort of fundamentalist... Uh, push kind of overthrew the government and installed kind of religious law in Iran. Um, So we're going to see little parallels of that in this story. But basically, 
Oh, thank God I'm so well-versed in the 70s Islamic... Revolution. Revolution. In Iran. Yeah. Yeah, well, the <laughs> stuff you just said that I paid attention to. Um, so, The Handmaid's Tale starts with a sentence, We slept in what had once been the gymnasium. Ooh. Yeah. Raises all sorts of questions. Is it a disaster movie? Is Roland <laughs> Emmerich directing? That's all I care about. Yeah. No. Oh, shit. <laughs> um, so our unnamed narrator, she's unnamed in this version. Obviously, it's a Elizabeth lot of you probably, Moss, yeah. yeah, a lot of you have probably watched the show and she's called June in the show, uh, which, which kind of makes sense a little bit in this because for reasons that I'm about to get into, but basically she, she's never named explicitly in this story. Um, so our unnamed narrator imagines the sorts of things that might have once happened in the gymnasium. So including like basketball games or proms. So we can all kind of picture high school musicals one through three. Yes, exactly. Um, so we can all kind of picture the kind of uh, place it is. Um, she is one of a group of women we learn kept under guard by other older women who she calls aunts. Oh my god! They capitalize like it's a title. Aunts. So no one's real aunts, but they these aunts have electric cattle prods hanging from their belts for oh some goodness. reason. And we learn um, that these women, who the unnamed narrator is uh, part of, or one of, uh, aren't allowed to speak to each other. Oh. Uh, at night, anyway, their cots are spaced too far apart to whisper to each other. Oh my goodness! Uh, on purpose, and but they are close enough to read. Uh, sorry, they are close enough to reach out and touch each other's fingertips. Oh. Um, uh, they learn to lip read. She says, whispering almost without sound, and learn each other's names. And these names include Alma, Janine, Dolores, Moira, and June. So oh. that's probably where the show got the name June from. They're like, yeah, we'll we'll use that one. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, they use all the other names. Like, exactly. The other characters. Yeah. And, and the other characters in the book do kind of, you know, you do meet them. Um, and June's one of the ones that isn't brought up again. So it makes sense, you know, to assume that the narrator's name is June. But I'm probably just going to be calling her the narrator throughout this. I'm going to be I calling think. her June. Sure. I'm going to be calling her Elizabeth Moss. <laughs> all renowned right. Scientologist. She's a Scientologist? Oh, I guess not renowned. Yes. <laughs> It's not 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 renowned enough for me, but I'm not I'm not the most uh, I don't really have my finger on the pulse. <laughs> um, cool. So where the am I? Zeitgeist. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So twice daily, the women are allowed to walk in the former football field of this of this school, I guess that we're in, uh, which is surrounded by a chain link fence topped with barbed wire. So that probably isn't original. I feel like it was if they had like metal detectors. <laughs> This is 85, though, so this is, like, pre-9-11, right? Well, when was Columbine? The ni- 99 or 95? Oh, yeah, okay, they were fine then. No no metal detectors, no barbed wire. Well, there is, well, but for no. a different reason. Yeah. So armed guards, um, which the narrator calls angels, patrol outside um, around the perimeter. So while the women take their walks, the angels stand outside the fence with their backs to the women. Like they're not allowed to, um, look at them. Look at them. Yeah. We're told the women long for the angels to turn and see them. They imagine that if the men looked at them or talked to them, they could use their bodies to make a deal. Yeah, of course they can. Which presumably is the reason the angels are not supposed to look at them. So the scene changes, uh, and the story shifts to the present tense. So that was like a flashback. 
Uh, now we're in a cute little room, uh, like one a college guest might have stayed in once. Like the room that Elizabeth Moss is in in the show The Handmaid's Tale? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh my god, okay. <laughs> so we're going to learn later that we're in Cambridge, Massachusetts, formerly the home of Harvard University, which no longer exists. What? I don't want to live in a world where, where Harvard, Harvard doesn't, doesn't exist. exist. <laughs> How am I going to quote legally blonde? <laughs> So the room's got floaty curtains, a cute little throw pillow with the word faith cross-stitched on it, a little single bed, a braided rug, no chandelier though, just a hole where one used to be. Uh, And our narrator notes everything that you might have been able to tie a rope to is removed. Well, well, Yeah. Uh, The window pane, similarly, is shatterproof for probably a similar reason that the chandelier is gone. The door doesn't lock or even completely shut. Oh my God. And the narrator remembers the words of uh, Aunt Lydia, someone called Aunt Lydia, which is something she'll do a lot. And this person called Aunt Lydia had once said to think of her position as a privilege, not a prison. Oh my God, barf. Barf, Aunt Lydia. You're (laughs) not the one getting fucking raped every month. Yeah, well, I mean, in the story, we don't really know what is going on yet. (laughs) Oh, sorry. I meant barf, Aunt Lydia, for reasons currently unpronounced <laughs> yeah well that's it so yeah it's it's really interesting the way she kind of like reveals little pieces and how like you you know it's almost like a mystery you know you kind yeah, of it's putting, like why was she a gymnasium together. why yeah, is she in exactly. a room um you know why why are they not allowed to talk to each other why are they under guard this is the most elaborate escape room i've ever seen <laughs> so she wonders if all the other women uh get issued the same sheets and curtains that she does Oh, like prisoners. Mm-hmm. So this woman is a handmaid, we learn. Uh, handmaids are obligated to dress entirely in red. Mm. State-issued long dresses that cover everything from the neck down. The only item of clothing that she wears that isn't red is uh, what she calls the white wings that frame their faces, which are interpreted as a sort of like deep bonnet. So the whole thing's kind of like a pseudo-medieval look. Um, Plague doctor style. Yeah, well... <laughs> no. <laughs> he said yes so quick, though. Uh, so, handmaids uh, are one of four classes of women to which all women in the country formerly known as the United States of America uh, must belong. Are you going to list the four? I sure am. So, the servant class, uh, who are called Marthas, mm-hmm. wear green uniforms. The highest class of women, wives, uh, who are the wives of state officials, wear blue, usually nicer fabrics as well, and like with more variety, I think, in terms of like the styles and different kinds of garments they can wear. Uh, and we don't learn about the fourth one yet, I don't think, but it oh, is... Uh, I wonder what it is. A con- econo wives, I think, who are the wives of like um, blue lower level people. Blue collar yeah, workers. Yeah, basically all the women who are married... Um, and don't and and haven't been assigned to Martha or or handmaid. Well, good for them, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, making do. Yeah, because they're still like, you know, they're kind of still there in their family with their husbands. Yeah, yeah. That's um, the group to go for. Awesome. I gotta get married to a blue collar <laughs> worker. Quick, smart. Yeah, and don't do any of the crimes that would get you oh. removed from that and then assigned to handmaid instead. Oh, do, are, are you going to list the crimes? Because pr- uh, I've probably I, done all of them. I don't know if I have a list anywhere, but we do learn a little bit more about it later on. So the narrator goes downstairs from her little room and she listens at the kitchen door to the two Marthas, which belong to this household that she's in. 
Uh, so once she heard Rita, who's one of the Marthas, state that she would never debase herself uh, as someone in the narrator's position must. So she's bi- she's bitching about the narrator. Okay, rude. Uh, the other one, Cora, replies that the handmaid works for all women and that if she, Cora, were younger and had not gotten her tubes tied, she would have been a handmaid herself. Or she could have been a handmaid herself. <sighs> she could have. So could have been this is basically where we can glean that the handmaid has something to do with uh, childbearing, right? You or at least the, the fertility of this handmaid, of uh, this handmaid, uh, is relevant to oh, her status. What a Freudian slip, boys. <laughs> okay. Uh, the narrator wishes she could talk to them, to Rita and Cora, but the different classes of women are not permitted to develop relationships. Oh my god. Um, sort of between the classes, especially handmaids. Uh, but she wishes that she could share gossip like they do, like gossip about how one handmaid gave birth to a stillborn. Oh. How a wife stabbed a handmaid with a knitting needle out of jealousy. Oh my god, what? How uh, someone poisoned her commander with toilet cleaner. Oh, good for her. Yeah. Um, So instead, the narrator goes in and she collects tokens that serve as currency from Rita. None of them have writing or numbers on them. Just images of what they can be exchanged for. So like a picture of 12 eggs, a picture (laughs) of cheese, and a steak. Uh, Do you have any extra egg coins today? (laughs) Now I'm all out. Just got the steak coins. That's fine. <laughs> all right. So on her way out with her tokens, the handmaid looks around for the commander's wife. But she does not see her. Commander's wife occupies herself, we learn, by maintaining a garden and knitting constantly. And we learn that all the wives knit scarves, um, quote, for the angels at the front lines. Oh. So we can piece together that there's a war on. <clears throat> I thought the scarves were to, like, hang themselves with. But yeah, keep going. <laughs> um... So the commander's wife is a particularly skilled knitter, making patterns of like trees and chains of little figures, like a scarf for a child. Offred wonders if the scarves actually get used or if they just give the wives something to do. Offred, you said? Oh yeah, so that's the this unnamed narrator. Sorry, which I've obviously started referring to as Offred, um, but I think I will... Yeah, in the next paragraph I'll explain that. So hang on a tick. Put a pin in it. Put a pin in that one. Put a pin in it. Um, she remembers, uh, the narrator, arriving at the commander's house for the first time after the two couples to which she had pre- was previously assigned didn't work out. Uh, that, that was in quotes. <laughs> didn't work out. One of the wives in an earlier posting secluded herself in the bedroom, purportedly drinking, uh, and the narrator hoped that the new commander's wife would be different, that she might be able to befriend her even. Or, like, drink outside and share. <laughs> yeah. Um, she was rudely disenchanted of that hope, though, on her first day when the commander's wife told her to stay out of sight as much as possible. Yeah, like, I don't... They're not going to want to be friends. No, probably not. Uh, she remembers uh, that the wife uh, had been smoking a cigarette, which was a black market item. Ooh. Handmaids uh, can't have coffee, alcohol, or cigarettes. Oh, my God. What is the point? Well, their health, you see, is highly valued. Um, it's important sort of in this society that the handmaids are kind of in peak health condition. They're the top athletes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so during this conversation, this first conversation um, that she she's remembering that she had with the commander's wife, the handmaid, um, the narrator, thinks that she recognizes the wife from somewhere. Ooh. The wife reminds her uh, that the commander is her husband, the wife's husband, obviously, uh, and no one else's. All it's right, one bitch. of the things we fought for, she says, glancing away. 
And when she says this, the narrator suddenly recognizes her as Serena Joy, the lead soprano from Growing Souls Gospel Hour. What? <laughs> that was a Sunday morning religious program that oh. aired when The Handmaid was a child, or when the narrator was a child. So in the show, she's like, like this sort of anti-feminist uh, activist, I think. Yeah, she's got Serena a book Joy. and stuff. Not really anti-feminist, yeah. but she's saying that like feminism is killing like the old ways and she's like what's yeah, wrong with like my con- kind of feminism yeah like a conservative traditionalist yeah. kind of thing that was kind of their update on this in this version she's literally like an evangelical uh tv figure but I thought she was just a soprano was she singing at the audiences i don't know um yeah yeah it's sunday it's a sunday morning religious program so you can imagine the kind of thing like in the 80s anyway oh yeah um that you might have seen in America, that's kind of what Serena Joy is. And I think she's not as young as she is in the show either. I think she's meant to be like quite a bit older. Now. Yeah, if um, June was watching her on the TV, then... <laughs> as a child. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, so, yes, so the handmaid is called Offred, after mm. the commander she belongs to, Offred. So patronymic, like, um, in a sense. <laughs> like uh, It's a really light way of putting it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Later in the story, we see that as handmaids are changed from one household to another, they take on the patronymic drive from their new commander's first Ugh. name. So, you know, and we imagine that at previous households, she was called something different. Off Norbert. <laughs> <laughs> Gross. <laughs> Off Chad. Off Chad. <laughs> so... <laughs> what if one of them... <laughs> sorry. What if one of them had, like, a dumb, like, off-rider... <laughs> Yeah, off, um, what's a stupid name? Off Buckley. <laughs> you know what I mean? Off, uh, off, oh my god, there you go, here's a stupid name. Off Raimi, R-A-Y-M-I-E. That is a character from a movie. Is it indeed? The movie is Left Behind, starring <laughs> Nicolas Cage. And it goes for two hours, and it's funded by what's Christian groups. <laughs> What's the name of um? We're just on a tear now. What's the name of that character who's Harry Styles in that movie after? Oh my God, Harden of Harden of Harden. Oh my God, stupid ass bitch. Oh my God, he's so annoying. And this All is right. how he talks. Tessa, I love you. Tessa, and it's like you sh- sh- shut up. Anyway, back uh, to the oppressed female. Okay, so, yes. So, as she, as the narrator, uh, uh, as Alfred, leaves to go shopping for the food, which is her job, apparently, um, in the household, one of her jobs, she notices Nick, who, in uh, his uh, position, is a guardian of the faith. Ooh. Uh, and these guys are a class of men who are too old or too young for the army. Um, and it seems like they're kind of they're kind of blue collar, really. They they serve as routine police force. They do menial labor. Oh, okay. Nick kind of acts as a chauffeur for the commander and like a bodyguard as well. He's kind of just like you know. The, Was he too old or too young to go to the army? Um, who knows? Who knows? We don't really know. We don't really get told his age. Well, um, in the show, it's Max Minghella. Mm. Uh, so Nick is washing the commander's car. As okay. She passes him. He lives above the commander's garage. And as she passes, he winks at Offred. <gasps> this is something that he is not allowed to do. Illegal. Yeah, she doesn't know what to do. She fears he could be an I with a capital E. So this is another class of man that functions as secret police. Or oh spies. my goodness! So she's like, if he's an I, maybe the wink is a test. 
um, you know, of her, of her character. Mm-hmm. Um, but she ignores it. She goes to the corner and waits for Ovglen, who's another handmaid who has been assigned as Ofred's shopping partner. Oh, that's fun. Like us during lockdown. <laughs> Literally. Oh my god. I can't believe that. I can't believe we had a curfew. You remember that? Remember we just weren't allowed to leave the house. That's insane to me. That was crazy. Um, so the handmaids always travel in pairs when they're outside, acting as spies and guards over the other. So it's like an internally policing kind of Great. Love um, that. Thing. Yes. Uh, so Ofglen arrives and they exchange greetings, careful not to say anything that isn't strictly orthodox. So they have things that they're, you know, meant, the ways they're meant to greet each other. Um, oh my god, like CIA greetings, like, you know how, like, <laughs> like in Jason Bourne, you know, where <laughs> different answers mean different things? Yeah. That's exactly how I picture this. Oh my god. Ofglen says that she has heard the war is going well, <laughs> and that the army recently defeated a group of Baptist rebel- rebels. So apparently Baptists are too uh, edgy oh my in, God. This new, in this new America. Um, and from this, we can kind of figure out that it's actually a civil war that's going on as well. Uh, Offred responds, praise be, which is what she's meant to say. Barf. Um, yes. So Offred recognizes this pregnant handmaid from the Red Center, um, which we learn is the gymnasium from the first chapter. It's called the Red Center. This woman used to be known as Janine. Oh, Janine. And she was one of Aunt Lydia's favorites because of how easy she was to bully and manipulate. Now her name is of Warren. Offred senses that Janine went shopping just so that she could show off her pregnancy. Um, And Offred seems to feel a kind of jealous contempt for Janine. She's she's fortunate for being pregnant. We we get the sense. Offred thinks of her husband, Luke, and their daughter, and the life they led before Gilead existed. Oh. And she remembers a prosaic detail from their everyday life together. She used to store plastic shopping bags under the sink, which annoyed Luke, who worried that their daughter would get one of the bags caught over her head. Um, and she felt guilty about it. What a stupid bitch. The daughter, I mean. <laughs> For getting the bag <laughs> over her head. <laughs> Uh, Offred and Ofglen finish their shopping and go out to the sidewalk where they encounter a group of Japanese tourists and their interpreter. This oh is something God. that's not in the show. Yeah, tourists. I didn't yeah. even know that was allowed. Oh my goodness. Okay. Yeah, so the tourists want to take a photograph, but Offred says no. Many of the interpreters are actually eyes. They're actually spies um, or secret police. Uh, and the handmaids must not appear immodest. Offred and Ofglen marvel at the women's exposed legs that these tourists... Um, their high heels and their polished toenails. The tourists ask if the two of them are happy, since Ofglen does not answer, and though it's not really protocol, Offred decides to take the lesser of two risk, of two risks and does reply, saying that yes, they are very happy. <laughs> but look in my eyes, though. <laughs> I'm so happy. Uh, on their way back to their homes, Ofglen suggests they take the long way. Ooh. The long way around. Offred describes a nearby boathouse, old dormitories, a football stadium, and red brick sidewalks. Harvard, baby. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, they pass by the wall on their way, which oh, no. uh, was their real destination. This is where the authorities hang the bodies of executed criminals as examples to the rest of the Republic of Gilead. The authorities cover the men's heads with bags. One of the bags looks like it's been painted in a smiley face where the blood has seeped through. Oh my god. All That's some the... Joker nonsense yeah. right there. 
All of the six corpses wear signs around their necks, picturing fetuses, which signifies that they were executed for performing abortions before Gilead came into existence. Oh my god. Um, this is something that's really interesting to me, because I think when you get people who are, who are really, like, against surveillance and against, like, you know, government getting your information and everything, it's really easy to think of them as being, like, overly paranoid. They're like, why does it matter if the government, like, has my entire medical history, like... There's nothing, you know, I haven't done anything illegal, that kind of thing. Yeah, but... Um, but in regimes like this, like, it's not completely crazy because in regimes like this, like, you can get persecuted for things you did before the regime came into existence. You know, you can get persecuted for things that weren't illegal back then. Which, should, which is which is not cool. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I hereby uh, but... decree that not cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think that's, you know... I, you know, because I used to be like, man, that's overly paranoid. But, um, you know, when people are like, I don't want the, any, you know, I don't want my information being collected. Um, it, yeah, it's easier to think of that as paranoid. But, you know, you can't predict something like this happening, I guess. And um, Then you die, mm. Sandy. Mm. If you don't want your yeah. co- information collected, don't have a phone. <laughs> yeah, it was, it's far too late for, like, all of us. <laughs> but, you know, if something like this would have happened, we'd all be, like, like we'd all be on the wall, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Don't even... I hope they have a photo. Oh, I hope, like, if I get hanged on the wall, the photo that they choose to, like, wrap around me is the one of me um, really high, and I drop my cake on the ground, and I'm just, like, picking up the pieces. <laughs> and you could really tell that I've just... I've, yeah. I've lost it. Yeah. That, that one's a pretty good one. That's like, oh, yeah, that's why she was killed. I get it. And yours would be... I don't know, your wedding photo, I guess. You did marry, like, a brown person. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think you get hanged for that. You get... You don't know. You get handmaids. Handsmaids. If there were suddenly, like, a law against... What do they call it? Macial... Race mixing. I was gonna say macial racing. <laughs> Okay. Um, (laughs) So where am I? Um, Yeah, so Offred feels relieved that none of the bodies could be Luke's since he was not a doctor. Oh, thank God he wasn't a doctor. She must be constantly kind of looking for clues of what happened to him um, and and wondering whether he's still alive or not. As she stares at the bodies, Offred thinks of Aunt Lydia again, telling them that soon their new life would seem ordinary. Hmm. We skip forward to the night. Offred is lying in her little bed. Uh, she likes to remember her old life at this time when she's sort of by herself. She remembers talking to her college best friend in her dorm room. Her name was Moira and she hey. had freckles. And she um, was rough and brave and cheeky. Oh, cheeky. She, yeah. Um, Offred remembers being a child and going to a park with her mother where they saw a group of women and a few men as well burning pornographic magazines. As a child, she was given a magazine to put on the fire and remembers the woman's naked body on the magazine uh, and remembers that her mother told off the person who gave her the magazine saying she could burn it but not look at it. Oh, she can burn the book, but just just don't look at the yeah. book. Um, this is, I'm not sure if I say it later, but this this was actually like a feminist thing that happened like in the 80s. Like feminists would burn porn, you know. Like oh, okay. I thought this was uh, leading up to the regime. No, no, no. I... This is, yeah, her, no, her mother was actually like a feminist activist. Yeah, I know the, the bra, right? In yeah, the show, exactly. they talk about the burning bras and stuff. Yeah. 
But yeah, and burning pornography was a thing that feminists did do back then because it was like, this is an exploitative industry kind of thing. This is, you know, affecting the way women, you know, are treated uh, in society. Just true, um, yes. But it's kind of interesting that, that Margaret Atwood brings it up here as kind of a point of parallel with the fundamentalist society as well. You know, that you can kind of do similar actions for different ideological reasons. Same, same, but different. Exactly. Um, where am I? Offred has <laughs> forgotten a large chunk of time, which she thinks might be caused by an injection or pill the authorities gave her. Ooh. But it could also just be trauma. Oh. Um, she remembers waking up somewhere and screaming, demanding to know what they had done with her daughter. The authorities told Offred that she was unfit to care for her daughter and that uh, she'd been given to someone else. Um, what? Yeah. They showed her a photo of her child wearing a white dress holding the hand of a strange woman. As she recounts these events, Offred imagines she's telling her story to someone, telling things that she cannot write down, obviously because writing is forbidden. Oh my goodness. Can't write, can't mm. read. Can't masturbate. Sounds like a good time to me. <laughs> can't smoke weed. Oh, what? <laughs> <laughs> that's where I draw the line. That's where I say it's inhumane. Uh, on another day, returning from another trip, uh, Offred and Off Glen. Notice three new bodies on the wall. Oh, God. Okay. A Catholic priest with two pla- uh, and two with placards that read gender treachery, indicating that they were gay. Uh, that's words. Why are words allowed? I can read on the wall. That's a good point. Maybe they didn't want to draw a picture of two guys fucking. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, all right, we can either have words or we can have butt sex. <laughs> Like, what's it to be? There's, <laughs> like, the two options. Like... And then Joseph Fiennes is, like, hovering with a pen, like, sweating. Like, which box do I take? <laughs> um, we'll okay. let them read that one as a treat. All right. uh, on their way home, off Glen and off Red, come across a funeral procession of Econo wives. So this is where we learn about Econo wives. Um, and one of the, uh, the Econo wives carries a small black jar. Offred figures it's the right size for a dead embryo from an early miscarriage. One that came too early to determine whether it was an unbaby. So, unbabies. Um, the, yeah. And the term implies a sort of trend of genetic malformation in babies born in this time. So, as they go past, the Econo wives scowl at them. It looks like they don't like the handmaids. Uh, what I did. spits at them. Sorry? I just said what I did. Like, if I was a handmaid. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Like, I'm a prisoner here, bitch. As they reach uh, the commander's home, of Glenn sends off Offred by saying under his eye, which is the orthodox way of saying goodbye. Yeah. Kind of implying that God is always watching. Barf. Sort of thing. <laughs> is that God. your new thing, saying barf? <laughs> God's busy. You know what I mean? He's not always watching. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> he's playing Elden Ring. He's playing Elden Ring. That's what's <laughs> happening. He's excited for that Harry Potter RPG. Yeah. All right, leave him alone. Leave him out of this. <laughs> Offred notices that she hesitates, though. Uh, Off Glen does, uh, as if she wants to say more. Oh. But then she continues uh, on her way anyway. So Nick. Oh, cheeky. Asks her about her walk on the way in, breaking the rules. He isn't supposed to speak to her. Yeah. So she ignores him. Good. She sees Serena in the garden and remembers back to when Serena's singing career ended. Uh, how she became a right-wing Christian spokesperson. Oh. So here we go. Who talked about respecting the sanctity of the home, advocating for women not to be in the workplace. <laughs> and Offred reflects on the hypocrisy of this, as Serena was always out working, giving speeches. And, yeah, and being an she was working. Yeah. 
She wonders if Serena resents not being a public figure anymore now that what she has advocated for has come true. That's true. She's mm-hmm. like, well, you got what you want. Do you... Yeah, I like that they kind of dig into that in the show as well. Yeah, they're like, well, they do you do you like this kingdom that you have built? Built. On her way upstairs, Offred notices the commander outside of her room. Ew. He isn't supposed to be there. He oh. nods uh, and to her and he leaves. Offred thinks back to her affair with Luke before they got married when he was still married to someone else. Oh, right. Yeah, mm. that was her yes. thing. She regrets that she didn't fully appreciate the privacy and freedom of having the hotel room to herself, that she didn't fully appreciate that she and Luke were happy then. She remembers examining her room in the commander's house uh, little by little after she first arrived. She saw the stains uh, on the mattress left over from long ago sex, possibly from before the new regime came into power. Uh, And she discovered a Latin phrase freshly scratched into the door of the closet. And it says, Nolite te bastardes carbondorum. Oh, yeah. She doesn't understand the phrase, but she feels close to the woman who wrote the message. And she pictures her as Moira. When she asks Rita later about who the woman who used to about who the woman was who used to live in her room, Rita asks her to specify since there have been a few handmaids. Alfred guesses, the lively one with the freckles, and Rita is surprised, asking how she knew about her, Ooh. but doesn't tell Alfred anything. Summer is approaching, and the handmaids are allowed to wear lighter summer versions of their dresses. Oh, nice. She remembers Aunt Lydia decrying how women used to sunbathe wearing almost nothing, <laughs> as well as... And she also remembers an underhaw party Moira threw to sell a lingerie set. So like a Tupperware party, but for underwear. And she I called it an underhaw party. I know. We should have one. That sounds fun. Uh, she remembers... Who are you going to the- invite? All your male friends and they're all being tidy whities Cassandra, think. <laughs> right? Remember when you had to dress up as your hottest self party? Yeah. And everyone was in trackies? <laughs> Disgusting. Yeah. Absolutely. Shocking. Abhorrent. So she remembers, Offred remembers the stories of the women who were murdered and raped in the old days. Which had always seemed distant and unreal to her. Alright, so everyone... Is she saying that no one gets raped or murdered now? No, but I think she's she's thinking about that back when, you know, she was hearing reports of that all the time. People getting raped and murdered, like on the news or whatever. It never kind of felt real. Yeah, and now that it's just happening, it's just a fact. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Every month, a guardian accompanies Offred to the doctor, who checks her for signs of pregnancy or disease. (laughs) When she is at the doctor's office, she undresses and pulls a sheet over her body. There's also a sheet that hangs down from the ceiling, obscuring her face from the doctor's and his from her. He is not meant to speak to her, um, but he chats cheerfully to her while he inspects her. (laughs) Anyway... (laughs) He says many of the commanders are either too old to produce a child or are sterile, and he suggests that she could have, uh, that he could have sex with her and impregnate her. Oh, sweet! Thanks, Doc. His use of the word "sterile" shocks Offred, for officially, sterile men no longer exist. Mm. In Gilead, there are only fruitful women and barren women. This is our first big clue uh, to the purposes of handmaids in this society. This. Well, this is probably the one where people would figure it out I suppose. Well, what about the pregnant bitch yeah all right offred thinks that the doctor might be genuinely sympathetic to her plight but she also realizes he enjoys uh raping women well yes. his position of power just say rape yeah well 
it was an offer, I guess. Like, she declines, saying it's too dangerous. <laughs> I guess, yeah, he is asking for consent. He's like, well, In like, a sense, yeah. I could, you know, give you a mm. load. If, you... <laughs> uh, if they are caught, we learn they will both receive the death penalty. And she, shy- she tries to sound casual and grateful as she refuses, but she feels frightened. Because if he wanted, he could declare her unfit. Yeah, that's so scary. Yeah, and have her sent to the colonies with the unwomen. So refusing him is also dangerous. Oh like, my god. Like, so yeah. So, he's, it's, you know, even if she had agreed, it wouldn't be consent. It's lose-lose. Yeah, because yeah, she's not technically a person Yeah, with she doesn't have, kind of have the right yeah, to. She realizes that part of the reason she's frightened is because she's seen a way out. So she, she's like, you know, the, the prospect of kind of freedom in a sense i guess or, or or doing something you know beyond uh the bounds uh of the law uh, has frightened her a little bit offred has a bath on one of her scheduled days to do so there are no mirrors and no razors and no lock on the door great her own naked body seems alien to her she can't believe she once let people see her in a bathing suit she remembers a time a crazy woman tried to kidnap her child in the supermarket oh my god the authorities have since taken her uh, then five-year-old child away, and three years has passed since then, making the child eight now. Holy shit, that's been three fucking years? Yeah. She remembers Aunt Lydia saying women should not get attached to things and should cultivate a, a poverty of spirit, uh, adding, blessed are the meek, but leaving off the rest of the quote, for they shall inherit the earth. Alfred thinks it's easier to think of her child as dead. Like, emotionally. I get uh, that. Rather yeah. than alive out there and like thinking, why isn't my mom coming for me? It's been three years. Yeah. After the bath, she has dinner, but she does not feel hungry. She hides a pad of butter in her shoe. In her shoe? In her shoe. After dinner, How does she, she hide waits, butter in her fucking shoe? You'll find out soon. Okay, thank you. Hi, Brent. I said how, not why. Oh, hi. I, I would assume like on the top? On the top of her shoe, well, she's like, put butter. Well, like under the tongue of the... Okay, But on the top right. of the foot, right? Oh, that's so gross. But yeah, anyway. What's she going to do with the foot butter? Um, You'll find out very soon. She thinks about Orientalist paintings of harems, which she used to think depicted eroticism, but now she thinks they depict the boredom of women. Because, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's just like women lying around on carpets in, you know, sheer gowns or whatever. Um, and she wonders if men find bored women erotic. <laughs> Probably. Boy, she should she, watch Sleeping Beauty. Yeah, well, <laughs> she thinks back to the Red Center when Moira arrived three weeks after herself. They pretended not to know each other because friendships weren't allowed mm. uh, and arranged to meet in the restroom to exchange a few words. Um, then we learn about um, at the center, everyone had to testify about their past lives, like an AA meeting. Oh, my God. Janine reported that she was raped at 14. Raped at 14. Yeah. And that's why she's an unfit woman. That's why, because of that. Um, I don't think necessarily that's why she's a handmaid. But after she finished speaking about it, the aunts asked the group whose fault it was. And the rest of the handmaids chant that it was Janine's fault. Oh, my God. I remember that from the show, actually. Yeah. When this made her cry, they called her a crybaby. <laughs> we meant it, which was the bad part, says Offred. Oh, thanks, Offred. Oh, no. Um, this is like a thing in cults as well. Like you, you find this a lot, like in Synanon or Nexium, like the, even, even like Scientology, ironically, um, like 
people are kind of forced to give up details of their past, you know, traumas or things they've done. Yeah, and um, they tell them it's to set them free, but really it's like data mining. Exactly. And and then and then they're kind of like blamed for it um and kind of broken down and you know emotionally made really vulnerable to the group oh um, i've seen and depend on going them. clear i know exactly <laughs> what you mean yeah oh god that's a great documentary though for sure you should all watch going clear especially you elizabeth moss oh my god elizabeth moss oh my god Okay, Offred says she used to think of her body as something she was in control of, that she used for her own transportation and pleasure. Now, she thinks, and this is a quote, I'm a cloud, congealed around a central object, the shape of a pear, which is hard and more real than I am, and glows red within its translucent wrapping. She was just talking about her uterus. Uh, She hates facing menstruation every month because it means failure. Offred remembers running through the woods, trying to escape with her daughter. She couldn't run very fast because her child slowed her down. She remembers hearing shots. She and her daughter fell to the ground, hiding. Offred begged her daughter to be quiet, but she was too young to understand. She remembers being physically restrained and watching her daughter get dragged away from her. Oh, my goodness. All right, now we come to the ceremony. Oh, all right. The commander is always late. What? (laughs) The rest of the household waits for him in the living room. Serena sits. In the living room this happens. Um, not exactly. Okay, we start at the living room. room. Okay. Um, and the whole household waits there. Serena sits while Offred, uh, Offred kneels on the floor. Nick's shoe touches Offred's. <gasps> and she scoots her foot away, but then he moves his foot so it's touching hers again. Nick! Serena lets them all watch the news while they wait. Oh, thanks. TV stations from Canada are blocked and most of the programming is religious. Oh my god. The news reports that spies were caught smuggling national resources over the border to Canada. Yeah, what fire... sitcoms did they have playing? <laughs> What's a evangelical sitcom? They just have like Saved by the Bell or something? Just Little House on the Prairie. Little House on the Prairie on repeat. That's it. That's yeah. the sitcom. Uh, we hear that five Quakers have been arrested. Quakers? Yeah. That's another yeah. Christian sect. But they're quite, they're known to be quite liberal, I think. Um, if I'm correct. So the newscaster declares that the resettlement of the children of Ham. Oh, Ham. Ham, yeah. Ham like is... John. <laughs> Ham is a figure in the Bible. Oh. Um, this is implied to be black people. Oh. Or, oh. or you know, African Americans. Um, as racist ideologies of the 19th century often held that black people descended from the biblical figure of Ham. Oh, my God. Who was cursed by his father, Noah, uh, and made to be the servant of his brothers. So we're, yeah, we're kind of gleaning that there's some kind of mass resettlement going. Thousands of these people are being forced to resettle in the Dakotas and no one knows what happens to them there. No one knows whatever happens in the Dakotas. Whatever happens in the Dakotas <laughs> stays, stays in the Dakotas. In the Dakotas. Uh, watching the news, Offred remembers how she and Luke purchased fake passports when they decided to try to escape. They told their daughter they were going on a picnic and planned to give her a sleeping pill when they crossed the border so that she would uh, not be questioned or give them away. Perfect. They packed nothing in the car because they didn't want to arouse suspicion. We can make the link between national resources being smuggled and Offred's escape attempt and assume that these resources may oh. have been people, probably women. Yeah. Oh my god. Um, what a fun, depressing time. 
And I've written here, past me, has oh. written, one thing I really like about Margaret Atwood is how she reveals the terrible larger laws of the society in bits and pieces through the minutiae of how those laws would like function like the day-to-day practical practicalities of them yeah that's how it's been so far like just yeah. the tiny bits of information yeah. and that kind of normalizes them for us as well like to yeah it's not extent. just one big like here's all the stuff that's happening here's what you need to know it's yeah. like now here's how's it how it's different and this is how it just works like day-to-day and then like when you're looking at them this close up it's hard harder to see how like terrifyingly unhinged they are <laughs> I know, because you're like, okay, that doesn't sound too bad. You're like, oh, I can see that happening. Yeah, like sometimes I just want a a big sign of steak instead (laughs) of the words. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, exactly. So when the commander arrives, um, finally, late in the lounge room, he unlocks an ornate box containing a Bible, which he reads from. Oh my god. Offred wonders how he feels, being a man surrounded by women who are constantly watching him. He reads a passage about childbirth, about Rachel and Leah, and how Rachel, who was barren, urged her husband to have a child by their maid. Uh, oh, okay. They used to hear this story a lot at the Red Center, played on tapes read by male readers, so the aunts wouldn't have to sin by reading. <laughs> Serena Joy oh sobs softly. She hates this. <laughs> <laughs> she hates it. <laughs> Same. Absolutely hates it. Offred remembers when Moira decided to fake an illness at the Red Center, hoping to escape by bribing one of the men in the ambulance with sex. Uh, unfortunately, the angel who she propositioned reported her. Oh, yeah. Fucking. The aunts tortured Moira by beating her feet with steel cables, which Ouch. is the punishment for a first offense. The punishment for a second offense was beating the hands. What's the third one? beating the nose I don't know Um, like shins or something (laughs) beating both the hands and feet at the same time (laughs) at the same time (laughs) Um, Aunt Lydia reminded the women that hands and feet did not matter for their purpose that's true after the bible reading um, the ceremony proceeds so now now we move out to the commander's bedroom where Offred lies on her back placed between Serena's legs. Oh, yeah. It's so, <laughs> That's so terrible. It's so unhinged. Serena is fully clothed, while Offred's skirt is, hi- Offred's skirt is hiked up and her underwear is off. Oh, the no. two women hold hands, and Serena's ring digs into Offred's fingers. The commander rapes Offred quickly and without much fanfare, then zips himself up and leaves the room. God, imagine being able to just, like, pump and come in, like, two minutes, though. Pretty impressive stuff, Commander. Well, maybe he's... Just... He's been saving it up. <laughs> yeah, like, he's probably pretty sexually... Charged. Pent. Yeah. Uh, Offred says that she can't call it rape because she chose to be a handmaid and participate in the act. Though, considering the alternatives, I probably wouldn't agree <laughs> that yeah. it was a free choice. Um, but she does um, pointedly call it fucking rather than sex or any other euphemisms. Um kind of expressing how she feels about it fucking i would call it like inseminating (laughs) clinical clinical yeah but it's it's not really clinical yeah because because it's just so horrific as well i know you're holding on to the wife yeah oh my god it's it's pretty brutal Serena offers, oh, sorry, Serena orders Offred to leave, even though Offred is supposed to rest for 10 minutes on her back to improve her chances of getting pregnant. Oh, yeah, the whole let the mm. semen drip down. Yeah, exactly. Back in her room, Offred uses the butter she stole as skin cream. 
Oh. She can't sleep. Yeah, she got like dry skin. She can't sleep and she decides to steal something. Where does she put the skin? Like, are we saying vagina? Because it's dry. I don't know. I feel like if she doesn't mention it, then it's like a nether regions thing. Maybe. I don't want to put butter in my vagina. Um, so she can't sleep and she decides that she wants to steal something. Okay. Uh, she sort of needs to gain, regain control over herself. I think that's what it's about. Kind of like commit, um, or, or just have some agency, you know? Yeah. Um, she sneaks downstairs to steal a daffodil from the flower arrangement. She wants to press it under her mattress and leave it for the next handmaid to find. In the sitting room, she feels the presence of someone behind her in the dark. Nick. It is Nick. He's oh. not supposed to be downstairs either. So they are both both vulnerable to He's also stealing moment. a daffodil. Without speaking, they kiss. What? Mm-hmm. Kiss? Mm-hmm. Kiss? Yep. She wants to have sex with him right there in the morning. <gasps> and she remembers Luke, her husband, hoping he would understand, but thinking that he wouldn't. It would be too dangerous anyway, and they separate. Nick whispers that the commander sent him to find her, actually. The commander wants to see her in his office tomorrow. <gasps> this is definitely outside of protocol, so the Not plot thickens. allowed. Back in her room now, Offred lies in her bed, remembering making love to Luke while her baby kicked inside her womb. Did she get the daffodil? I think she did. Okay, good. She imagines Luke dead, his body lying in the thickets that they were caught trying to escape. She imagines that he's in prison. She also imagines that he made it safely across the border, which is what the show decides mm-hmm. to have. Do we find out in the book? No. Um, and that one day a message from him will come to her in some ex- unexpected way. She believes in all of these ser- scenarios simultaneously so that nothing will surprise her. Yeah. I'd rather... Yeah, I feel like I'd rather them just be dead and know that they're dead instead of surviving in this terrible mm. world. Yes, yeah, so she dreams of hugging her daughter, but a wave of sadness overcomes her because she knows she's dreaming. Mm. She dreams of her mother carrying her breakfast into her on a tray. At her real breakfast the next morning, the sounds of sirens indicate that a birthmobile has come. Birthmobile? That's what they call it. Um, it's come to collect Offred and take her to a birth. Janine, who is now known as of Warren, is about to have her baby. During the ride to Commander Warren's house, Offred wonders if Janine will give birth to a child with birth defects, which Gilead deems an unbaby. What happens to the unbabies? Um, I'm not 100% sure. I assume they get flushed. Um, one in four women have been poisoned by toxins and other environmental pollution, which leads to these birth defects in their children. You can't flush a baby, Sandy. You can flush, like, an embryo or a fetus, (laughs) but you can't flush a baby. Uh, Offred remembers Aunt Lydia calling women who had their tubes tied or who went to birth control Jezebels, who scorned God's gifts and poisoned their own bodies. Yes, that's me. She remembers a graph Aunt Lydia... I didn't get my tubes tied. (laughs) Uh, She remembers a graph Aunt Lydia showed them of how the birth rate fell below the line of replacement. Um... Which means that the population is diminishing. Good. It's what it deserves. <laughs> two, birthmobile, two birthmobiles pull into Commander Warren's house. One full of handmaids, the other full of wives. Did you want to say Batmobile just then? A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> the 
Mr. Robert Pattinson's there. <laughs> He's <laughs> from the shadows again. Yeah. They had him exit out of the shadows too many times for it to be effective. <laughs> Maybe the first time, sure, fun, funky, fresh. But like the tenth time, and he, they're like, oh, panning to a shot of a shadow. Oh, there he is. Yep. Here yeah. he is. That's just our thoughts okay. on the Batman. Yeah. <laughs> While of Warren gives birth. She is not allowed pain relief, as God wants women to suffer in childbirth. Of course. Uh, the w- Hello. Apparently God just wants women to suffer, according to... Uh, according to the Bible, yeah. According to the Bible. Uh, the wife lies in the sitting room as if she is giving birth. Oh my god. Janine lies in the master bedroom, and the handmaids Actually gather giving birth. Yeah. Uh, the handmaids gather around the bed to watch. Offred remembers Aunt Lydia showing the handmaids violent pornography to scare them to remind them that the old days were worse for women. But that... <laughs> it's like fetish pornography she's showing them. And I'm yeah. like, but that's that's not what happens. One film was about feminists before Gilead who were termed unwomen. There was no soundtrack as the aunts didn't want the handmaids to hear what the women were saying. Of course. In one of the movies, Offred recognized her mother at a feminist rally. So yeah. Mother. Her mother gave birth to Offred in her late 30s and chose to be a single mother. Yes. Offred and her mother used to fight because her mother thought Offred did not appreciate the sacrifices early feminists made in order to help the next generation of women. Offred misses her mother. She even misses the fights they had. Yeah, in the in the show, mm. that video has her mom but as one of the like women working mm. and the unwomen in the colonies like you see her there. Yeah. Yeah, we learn what actually happened to her. Which is that, I'm guessing. <clears throat> yeah. I'm not sure if we learned that in the book. Um, I'm sure we'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> Together, because I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> the handmaids chant while Janine gives birth. Under her breath, one handmaid asks Offred if she's looking for someone. Offred describes Moira, and the woman tells her that they will keep an eye out for a woman of that description. <sighs> This woman is looking for someone named Alma. She asks Offred what her real name is, but before Offred can reply, their conversation is cut short by a suspicious glance from an aunt oh. who heard the break in the chant. I was, mm, yeah. Just before the child is born, Janine of Warren and the wife of Warren sit on the birthing, school, birthing stool together. <laughs> the wife sits above Janine. Oh my god. The baby is born a girl with no visible birth defects, oh. and everyone rejoices. But it's a girl. The yeah, well, the wife climbs into bed and the baby is given to her. Hmm. The other wives crowd around, pushing the handmaids aside, and the wife announces that she will name the baby Angela. Ew. I After... did all of that. <laughs> Angela. After the birth, Janine will nurse the baby for a few months and then she will transfer to a new commander. Since she has produced a child, she will never be declared an unwoman or be sent to the colonies. Oh. Okay. She, she made it. <laughs> you can be a one and done. I didn't mm. know that. Moira had made another attempt to escape, we learn, at the Red Center. This one was successful. Hello, Nadia. Come here. Yeah, we both have a kitten in each hand mm. there. Each arm. Our unkittens. Um, she'd caused... Yes, yeah, so this escape attempt was successful. She'd caused a toilet to overflow. And while Aunt Elizabeth tried to fix it, Moira had grabbed... Oh, sorry, had jabbed a metal piece of the mechanism into Aunt Elizabeth's ribs and locked her in the furnace rooms. She forced Aunt Elizabeth to trade clothes with her and walked out of the center using Aunt Elizabeth's pass. Oh, fuck yeah. No one knows what happened to her after this. Fuck yeah. Back at home. Do we find out in the book? We do. 
Okay, good. Back at home, Offred tells the Marthas about the child, and Cora expresses the wish that their household will have one soon. Okay, give me a break. Give me a second. No, that was me as oh. Offred. Sorry. <laughs> sure. <laughs> sorry. I was like, okay. <laughs> that was just uh, too convincing. <laughs> yes, so all the commander wants, apparently, is to play a game of Scrabble with her. <gasps> That's not allowed. Any kind of reading is forbidden to women, even this. And she has to spell. <laughs> They play two games, which seems decadent to offer it. When she is about to leave, the commander asks her for a kiss. Did she win or did she let him win? I, I feel like know. she would have let him win. Probably. Um, she imagines threatening him with a piece of metal from the toilet like Moira did. Do she imagines it. killing him. Kill him. She kisses him. Oh. And he says sadly he wanted to kiss uh, he wanted her to kiss him as if she meant it. Oh, sorry. Let me just shake myself out of this prison <laughs> role that I'm in. Let me, yeah. let me just turn on the romance for you, Fred. <laughs> Back in her room, uh, Offred remembers that underneath all of Aunt Lydia's speeches, the real message seemed to be that men are sex-obsessed animals and should be manipulated with sex. <laughs> she can't help but feel the overwhelming urge to laugh about it all and struggles to keep quiet. She falls asleep on the floor of her closet, where the Latin phrase "Nolite no te bast ades carbondorum" is written. When Cora finds her there, the next morning she screams and drops the breakfast trays, shattering the dishes. That sounds like an overreaction. From well, Cora. she may have thought Offred was dead. Oh, because it's implied that the previous handmaid killed herself. Right? Yeah, because there's no chandelier. Exactly. She was the chandelier. Yes. So Offred uh, continues to meet the commander in his office at night. They develop a system of signals so that Serena will not realize what is going on. If Nick uh, is polishing the car hatless or his hat is askew, the commander wants Offred to come see him. Hatless or askew? What if yeah. it just happens to be askew on a day? I think Nick would would be very... Uh... Meticulous? Yeah. Detail-oriented? <laughs> uh, they continue to play Scrabble, and he doesn't make any more advances towards her. One night, though, he allows her to look at an old copy of Vogue. <gasps> Vogue? I know. Which issue? Probably one from the 70s or 80s. Yeah, damn, you're right. On the third night, she asks the commander for some hand lotion. He laughs when Offred tells him the handmaids use butter to keep their skin moist, which infuriates her. Like, he thinks it's... It's like, funny. It's quirky. Yeah. And I'm like... And she's like... Look my, at my life. <laughs> my skin is literally flaking off as we speak. And you're laughing at me. Does he get her the hand lotion? She... Le yes, he does. And she leaves the lotion in his office so that it will not be found in her room. So she can only moisturize in there. Basically, yeah. Okay. Uh, now she has some kind of relationship with Commander. She feels embarrassed during the ceremony. That's Once, true. Yeah. It's not as impersonal. Just mm -hmm. like, yeah... Once the commander almost touches Offred's face during the ceremony, <gasps> and she later tells him to never touch her like that because Serena could have her transferred to the colonies. He says he finds the sex impersonal and asks, <laughs> and she asks him how long it took him to figure that out. <laughs> she's becoming more comfortable with him and more confident. Yeah, she's becoming a little quippy. Yeah, Avglen and Offred are also now more comfortable with one another. On one of their trips, they stop at a store called Soul Scrolls, which prints out prayers. <laughs> but they can't read those. Yeah. Many of the wives call in orders for prayers in order to signal their piety. It's just one of the random economies that springs up. 
Suddenly, off Glenda whispers to Offred, asking her whether or not she believes God actually listens to the machines. Off Glenn's question is treasonous, but Offred decides to trust Off Glenn and answer. That's a no. treasonous question? Yeah, well, the, you know, calling into doubt whether God oh, is. Yeah. And also, I guess, just talking. Whatever, yeah. Um, but yeah, so Offred says no, she doesn't believe it. And so the two women now realize they can trust one another. Nice. Uh, Offred learns Off Glenn is part of a group of subversives, like a resistance. <gasps> As they walk back home. So this, I think, is... Um, what's her name? Gilmore Girl. Rory. Rory, yeah. Yeah, this is like her character kind of in the book. Gil- the Gilmore Girl. She, she gets girl. put in way more depth, I think, in the show. I guess they... Yeah, no, they flesh out a lot more of the characters and stuff because they, yeah. they want multiple seasons. Yeah. Exactly. Whereas it's much more kind of mysterious in this, I think. Which, I, it, it, it mm. is a book. Yeah. yeah One book. It's much shorter as well. Um... Yes, so as they walk home, a black van painted with a white-winged eye, which is the symbol of the eyes, or the, or the who are the secret police, stops abruptly. Offred <gasps> fears that perhaps her conversation with Offred was recorded, but the two eyes who jump out grab a man carrying a briefcase. Oh. They drag him into the vehicle and drive away, and Offred feels tremendous relief. Briefcase man? Mm. What was he doing? Probably the briefcase was illegal, I don't know. <laughs> Offred recalls how Moira disapproved of her affair with Luke, saying that Offred was poaching another woman's property. We learn that Moira was a lesbian. Offred accuses Moira of poaching women, and Moira says it's different with women. It is hot in Offred's room, and she has been given a fan. She no muses. one's poaching anyone. <laughs> Offred muses that if she were Moira, she would know how to take the fan apart and use the blaze as a weapon. She thinks of how strange it now seems to her that women used to have jobs. Offred remembers the fall of the United States and the creation of Gilead. First, the president was shot and what? the members of Congress were killed with machine guns. Oh my god. Yeah, it was like a military coup. Then the army declared a state of emergency, telling everyone to remain calm. Uh, Islamic fanatics were falsely blamed for the execution of the entire government. Oh yeah, fair enough. There you go. Um, this is pre-9-11 too, so prescient. <laughs> um, the constitution was suspended. In shock, people stayed at home and watched their televisions. At this point, Moira warned Offred that something terrible was going to happen. Slowly, the newspapers were censored and the roadblocks appeared, and soon everyone had to carry an identipass. Oh no. Censored. Roadblocks. <laughs> COVID. <laughs> identipass? Vax certificate? Vax certificate? Oh my god. There was a crackdown on the sex industry. Before Gilead, cash was phased out for credit cards, which made it easy for the new regime to control people's money. Oh. Offred remembers her card being declared invalid at the local store. Then she went to her job, which was at a library, and she finds out there that all the women have been summarily fired. Two men with army uniforms and guns watched over the situation. Yeah, in the show she was like yeah. a reporter or something. Yeah, yeah. When she got home, she called Moira and learned that women were no longer allowed to work or hold property by law, that their money was transferred to their husbands' names. So Luke gets home and he tries to comfort her, saying that he'd take care of her. But she found the idea and his attitude unbearable. She's like, how can you say that to me right now? (laughs) Take care of me? I don't need taking care of. I need to be able to access my own money. I need to be a human person. Exactly. She realizes that the army men were not part of the U.S. Army, but were actually in different uniforms. There are protests and marches for a while until the new army cracks down. She and Luke never participated in the protests, afraid of their lives, afraid for their lives and their daughters. 
Looking out her window, Offred sees Nick come into the yard and notices that his hat is askew. <gasps> she wonders idly if he what he gets out of facilitating her forbidden liaisons with Amanda. And she remembers their kiss as well. He gets lotion. Mm. <laughs> yeah. His hands are also really dry. <laughs> Uh, then she remembers how the night after she lost her job, Luke wanted to make love, but Offred felt uncomfortable because their balance of power had already shifted. Yeah, I kind of, I'm not horny right now, Luke. Yeah, and like they don't belong to each other anymore. She belongs to him. Yeah. Oh my god. And she thought perhaps he liked that. Um, now she wants to know whether she was right about that that night. Right, so one night with the commander, she tries to get some information out of him. She asks about the Latin phrase, and he laughs, saying it was a schoolboy joke, meaning don't let the bastards grind you down. She guesses that the previous handmaid may have learned the phrase from him. Mm. She asks about what happened to the previous handmaid. The commander says that Serena discovered their nighttime meeting, and the handmaid hanged herself rather than be sent away. Alfred realizes that the commander summons her to his office because he wants her life to be bearable. He feels guilty. She knows okay. that his guilt is a weapon she can use. The commander asks her what would make her life better. Lotion. Alfred asks for knowledge about what's going on. That's a direct quote. What's going on? Alfred sees Nick through her window that night in the garden. They make eye contact and she feels <gasps> an electric charge of desire pass between them. Eye contact. Before she pulls the curtains shut. She remembers Luke killed their pet cat before their escape attempt. What? Why? Well, they didn't want to leave her to starve, and leaving her to meow outside would arouse suspicion. Oh my god. Someone must have reported their plans because the escape attempt failed anyway. It could have been a neighbor or the man who forged their passports. Killed the cat. Mm. How did he kill the cat? I have no idea. Alfred wonders if the eyes sometimes posed as forgers in order to catch people trying to escape. Probably. Mm. That sounds like a really good place to... Yeah. Get him. Scoop him up. True. Boys. Lying in the dark, she thinks about suicide. During a shopping trip one day, Off Glen and Offred find two new bodies on the wall. Oh. One is Catholic and the other is marked with a letter J, which the women don't understand. If he were Jewish, he would be marked with a yellow star. Oh, they're killing Jewish people, of course. Absolutely. Okay, J. In the early days of Gilead, Jews were accorded special status as sons of Jacob, and they actually had the choice of converting or emigrating to Israel. They were allowed to leave. What? Some people pretended to be Jewish and escaped, Ili uh, escaped Gilead that way. Yeah. Oh my Many God. Jews left, but others pretended to convert or refused to convert. Uh, and now those who were found to not have converted are hanged when they are caught. J. Is it for jerk? I don't know. Joker? Let me think. What could it be? Do we not find out what the J is? No. I don't think so. Oh. I wonder. We'll Google it after. Surely yeah. someone has done a deep dive on this. Probably. Surely Sparknotes has the answer here. Mm. Um, off Glenn tells Offred that the subversives in Gilead use Mayday as a password, but warns Offred not to use it often. Because if she is caught and tortured, she should not know the names of the other subversives. When Offred reaches the house, she notes that Nick's hat is askew again. Maybe he's just a messy guy. <laughs> Serena calls Offred over and asks her to hold the wool while she knits. She asks if there is any sign of pregnancy. When Offred indicates that there is not, Serena suggests that the commander may be sterile. Ooh. After a moment of hesitation, 
Alfred agrees that it is possible. Serena suggests she try another man since Alfred's time is running out. Oh, I wonder how much time they get per household. Yeah, I'm not really sure. A couple, like, like maybe a year or something. Yeah, and they cycle them around. Mm. Serena says Nick would be the safest possibility. Oh, Nick. Yeah, so Serena's going to hook them up. Oh, matchmaker, matchmaker. Yeah, and then, she, and then Serena offers to let Alfred see a picture of her daughter if she agrees, revealing that Serena has known where Alfred's daughter has been this whole time. And Alfred is consequently blinded by a sudden hate for Serena. But she nonetheless agrees. And Serena gives her a cigarette as a reward. <gasps> yes! And instructs her to ask Rita for a match. Alfred considers eating the cigarette little by little <laughs> for the nicotine rush and saving the match to burn down the house. <laughs> I mean, Do you sense. relate to that? <laughs> I just saw something, like, flash <laughs> through your eyes. Yeah. Never seen such... Tenacity. <laughs> uh, the commander has taken to drinking during his evenings with Alfred. Off Glenn says Alfred's commander is high in the chain of power. One night, the commander explains that in the old world, before Gilead, there was nothing for men to do with women anymore. What? <laughs> nothing to struggle for, nothing to hold their interests. Men used to complain that they felt nothing. He asks what she thinks of Gilead. Hate it. Alfred tries to empty her mind. She cannot give her real opinion. She does not answer, but he can feel her unhappiness. You can't make an omelette without breaking eggs, he said. We thought we could do better. Off Glen and Offred attend a paravaganza, which is a mass wedding in which girls as young as 14 are assigned to a husband. Um, it is held in what used to be a university building. The wives sit in one section with their daughters, the Marthas and Econa wives sit in another, and the handmaids kneel in a section cordoned off by ropes. Oh my god, they have to kneel down there? They can't even sit? Yeah. Janine walks in with a new wife, and Off Glen whispers that Janine's baby was born with birth defects oh. after all. What was she, it? Do we know? No, I don't think we learn. Um, but probably something like, you know, like a... Like an ear or something? No, no, because it wasn't visible, so it might be like a blood disease or like leukemia or some shit, you know. Um, or, or some, like, internal thing. Um, Off Glenn adds that Janine slept with the doctor to get pregnant. Oh! Offred remembers a strange episode in the Red Center when Janine sat on her bed, staring off into space, speaking to an invisible customer in a restaurant where she worked before Gilead. Moira slapped Janine and shouted until Janine returned to her senses. Thanks, Moira. Yeah. I think. Well, it's possible that they would have just sent her away to the colonies if... You know, they decided she was insane. Yeah. Oh, my God. At the Pravaganza, Ockland whispers that the subversives uh, know she sees the commander in private so that the Mayday organization knows about her meetings. She urges Offred to find out everything she can. Later, when talking about the marriage process with the commander, um, he defends it by claiming that society should not force women to spend their entire paycheck on daycare. It <laughs> should value the work of mothering. It's entire not... paycheck on take care says a man who's never budgeted in his life <laughs> uh he says society should not allow fathers to run off and abandon children it should not allow domestic abuse in gilead none of these conditions officially exist <laughs> an ally offred asks him about love which he dismisses he's like what about love he's like never heard of it <laughs> never heard of it not even <laughs> Offred remembers when she and Luke tried to escape how they claimed Luke had not been divorced before. They had seen the guard uh, P 
pick up a phone and make a break for it. Oh, and they made a break for it. So when the guard picked up the phone, they tried to speed away in their car. I got it, despite that... Confusion? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and then um, and then they also tried to run on foot through the woods. Oh, my God. Uh, she shakes off the memories and tries to remember how it felt to be in love. She thinks Luke might be dead and begins to cry. Later that night, Serena shows Offred a photograph of her daughter. In the photo, she wears a white dress and smiles. Offred senses that her daughter hardly remembers her, which breaks her heart. Probably. Five Probably years five, old. Yeah. yeah. Be so easy to brainwash mm. a child at that time. Absolutely. Like she wouldn't even, yeah, mm. recognize her mom now. Mm-hmm. That fucking sucks. The commander seems drunk. The night when Offred goes to see him, he gives her what looks like a Vegas showgirl outfit to wear, <laughs> and claims he. Wants it's a showgirl's role play. He. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Uh, he claims he wants to take her out, which is a pre-Gilead expression. She agrees, because she has to. <laughs> he even gives her some cheap makeup to put on her face. And oh. she looks bizarre, she thinks. Sweet. She Sweet. wears one of Serena's blue winter coats to hide her clothing, and Nick is waiting for them in the car. Offred hides on the floor of the car as they pass the checkpoint. And she finds herself worrying what Nick thinks of her. The car stops in an alley, and the commander helps Offred out of the robe. Uh, he opens a door... Out of the robe? Maybe out of the coat? I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't know. I wrote this over Get them out of there. He opens a door with a key and slips a purple tag around Offred's wrist, instructing her to tell anyone who asks that she is an evening rental. Oh. Yes. As Offred enters the building, she imagines Moira calling her an idiot for going along with this. The commander takes Offred to an old, to an old hotel that Offred remembers from pre-Gilead days, remembering meeting Luke there. Women wander around dressed in gaudy and revealing clothing from the past, mingling with important, powerful men. Do you remember this on the show? Yes. Offred keeps her mouth shut and plays dumb. She can sense the commander is proud of showing her off and explains that the club is officially forbidden, but is an open secret. Oh my god. Of course. Everyone knows that to be satisfied, men require access to a variety of women. Some were sex workers before Gilead, others were lawyers, sociologists, businesswomen who prefer this life to the other official roles available to them. Fair enough, mm. actually. You kind of have a bit, like, some form of control. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, you it's don't have to do all the other things that, yeah, the other people have to do. Alfred spots Moira among them. Okay, so they stuck with that. Okay. Yeah. Um, she's wearing an ill-fitting Playboy bunny outfit. She sees Alfred. They pretend not to recognize each other, but Moira gives her the old single to... The old signal to meet in the bathroom. An aunt with a cattle prod tells her that she has 15 minutes. So there's still aunts wandering around. Oh my god. So it is like a regulated. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny that there's still aunts there. Alfred oh. mm. uh, tells Moira why she's there. That the commander snuggled her in just for the night. Moira tells Alfred her story. So after escaping from the Red Center, Moira made her way uh, to the center of town in Aunt Elizabeth's clothes and went to the home of a Quaker couple who was involved in the resistance. She says that, uh, she says at that time, the general public did not know about the Red Center because the authorities of Gilead feared people would object at first. (laughs) (laughs) For some reason. For some reason. They thought it'd be a little... Unpopular. Yeah. They're like, oh, maybe. (laughs) 
We'll clean it up a bit. We won't call it red center. It's like, you know, happy fun baby Pink center. center. Yeah. Pink center. That's nice. That's maternal, right? Yeah. The Quakers put Moira on the underground female road. That's what they call it. That sounds like a dope road. Mm. Mad a Max. System, a system for getting women to safety. They tried to smuggle her out of the country, but just as Moira was leaving the final safe house to slip across the border in a boat, she was caught. Oh. The eyes tortured her and showed her movies of the colonies where old women and subversives uh, clean up radioactive spills and dead bodies from the war. Oh my goodness. And the life expectancy there is three years. Because of all the radiation, I assume. Yeah. Oh, Do you remember that from the show? All the like, mm, yeah, fingernails falling off yeah. and shit? Oh. Yikes. Yeah, so this is where we kind of learn what the colonies actually are. Um, Moira chose to work as a prostitute in the club, which is nicknamed Jezebel's, rather mm. than going to the colonies, which is fair enough. Yeah, I would, I would choose the Jezebel life. Mm. Offred realizes Moira has given up, which disappoints her. After she leaves the club, she never sees Moira again. Oh. The commander takes Offred to a hotel room, which reminds her of her affair with Luke. She excuses herself to go to the bathroom. She hears the toilets... Uh, flushing in other rooms and feels comforted thinking of the universality of bodily functions <laughs> everyone thinks, poops mm, exactly she thinks about moira and her mother in the washroom moira had said that she saw offred's mother in one of the films about the colonies offred had assumed her mother was dead well um, probably now yeah. Well, yeah three years expectantly yeah. mm. offred remembers going to her mother's apartment with luke during the early days of gilead she found the place in disarray and her mother gone. Luke told her not to call the police, saying it wouldn't do any good. She thinks of how the colonies have probably stripped away her mother's spirit. Or, you know, life. Or life, yeah. Her <laughs> fingernails, her skin. Yeah. Her genetic code. Her genetic code. <laughs> her DNA. The All commander right. is waiting for her on the bed when she returns. He seems disappointed that she's not excited about a real sexual <laughs> encounter. He looks smaller and older without his clothing. Offred feels no excitement and silently orders herself to forget. Oh my god, that's loud. Back at the commander's house and out of her costume and makeup, Offred is expected by Serena Joy at midnight. Serena, oh yeah, for the six. Yeah, for She's the, getting for laid a lot tonight. <laughs> Serena is going to facilitate her meeting with Nick. Offred twice tells the story about what happened next. She tells two different versions. Oh, okay. The first story is thick with passion and desire and told in the breathy language of a romance novel. The second, probably more accurate, is awkward, uncertain, and full of sadness for the lost courtship rituals of the pre-Gilead world. No romance, okay, Nick says before they begin. Mm. But Offred does take pleasure in the act this time. Offred says that neither of the versions are completely accurate and that every story is by nature a reconstruction. After sleeping with Nick, she feels ashamed. She feels like she's betrayed Luke and wonders if she would feel differently if she knew Luke was dead. Offred says uh, she continues to see Nick at night without Serena's knowledge. Nick at night? Like mm -hmm. Nickelodeon at night? Oh <laughs> she feels thankful each time he opens the door to her. He never says much, but she finds herself telling him about Moira and Ockland. She tells him her real name, but not us. She never mentions Luke. Eventually, she tells him that she thinks she's pregnant, although privately she feels this is wishful thinking. During their shopping trips, Ogglen pressures Offred to break into the commander's office. Do it. She wants Offred to find out what he really does and what responsibilities he has in government. Yeah, what does he do? He's seen, he's... He just high-fives dudes all day. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Forgot like about all that. government. 
But off Red now tunes out of Glenn and spends her time thinking about Nick, which she feels guilty about. <laughs> Imagine feeling guilty about everything. Mm. Okay, so a woman's salvaging, or what? which is the term they give a large-scale public execution. Oh my god, what? Yes, is held in what used to be Harvard Yard. All the women in the district must attend. On the lawn in front of the former library sits a stage, like the ones used for commencement and pre-Gilead Who are they killing? Aunt Lydia sits on the stage, supervising the hangings. Oh it is the first time Offred has seen Aunt Lydia since leaving the Red Centre. Aunt Lydia announces that they have decided to discontinue announcing the crimes of the convicted. Why? Because it sparks copycat crimes, apparently. Oh, okay. It's just so they can kill Whoever, everyone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the handmaids are dismayed. The crimes give them hope by showing them that women can still resist. Three women are hanged, two handmaids, and one wife. Wife? Yeah, I, I want to know. Alfred speculates that the handmaid tried to kill her commander's wife. She says that wives get salvaged for only three things. Mm. Killing a handmaid adultery or attempted escape okay okay mm. the handmaids must place their hands on a long rope as the women hang in order to show their consent to the salvaging <laughs> like to participate in it, salvaging oh my god mm. after the hanging aunt lydia instructs the handmaids to form a circle a few of the other women leave but most wives and daughters stay to watch then the guardians, dra- then two guardians, sorry, drag a third guardian to the front. Ooh. He is disheveled and smells of excrement. He looks drunk or drugged. Why is he covered in poop? Who is know. he? Who's poop man? Aunt Lydia announces that he and another guardian have been convicted of rape. His partner was shot already, but this man had been saved for the hangmaids, who will take part in what is called a participation. Ooh, participation. Stoning. Mm. Absolutely. Perfect. Aunt Lydia asks that one of the two handmaids involved... Oh, Aunt Lydia adds, sorry, that one of the two handmaids involved was pregnant and lost the baby in the attack. (gasps) And at this, a wave of raw fury courses through the crowd. Offred feels bloodlust along with the others. Aunt Lydia blows a whistle and the handmaids close in on the man, kicking and beating him to a bloody pulp. Off Glenn dashes in first and kicks his head several times. <laughs> she really wants to get in there. Yeah. Afterward, disgusted with her friend, Offred asks Off Glenn why she did it. Off Glenn whispers that the supposed rapist was actually part of the underground rebellion and she wanted to put him out of his misery quickly. Oh. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, That's fucking rough. It's dark. <laughs> just killing your comrades just so they don't die. Because so, that's a really terrible way to die. Like, have you yeah. ever seen Casino? No. Well, there's a... There's a stoning in it? Not stoning, per <laughs> A casino se. stoning? A, caso- a castoning? <laughs> With damage. No. <laughs> no, someone gets beat to death with, like, mm. a baseball bat. Yikes. Which I imagine would also suck. Be but similar, it's, yeah. It's just a slow death. Um, Offred sees Janine carrying a bloody clump of hair. Oh. Her eyes look vacant, and she babbles some cheerful greetings from the time before Gilead. Um, Offred admits, ashamed afterwards, that she's really hungry. <laughs> you know, like when we watched Raw for the first time? Yeah, and you were like, man, I could go for a steak. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anybody else want to eat some... Some red meat? Yeah, some tacos or something? <laughs> All right, soon after the participation, Offred goes out for another shopping trip, comforted by the ordinariness of the routine. To her dismay, the handmaid who meets her is not of Glen. When Offred asks her where Offglen went, the woman replies, I'm Offglen. Since this new handmaid now lives with the commander named Glen, obviously her name becomes Offglen. 
Alfred realizes how women get lost in the ocean of fluctuating names. You know, how impossible it would be to keep track of anyone. I know, it's so good. Yeah, trying to see if the new woman belongs to the resistance. Alfred suggests they go to the wall. As they walk there, Alfred works the password Mayday into the conversation by mentioning the old holiday of Mayday. <laughs> Got him. The new Ogland looks at her coolly and tells her that she should forget such echoes from the old world. Oh. Terrified, Alfred realizes that the new Ogland knows about the resistance and does not belong to it. Uh, Alfred worries that she, they might torture her daughter until she tells them everything that she knows. Um, you know, all the things that could happen if she gets found out and taken. She and the new treacherous Ofglen walk mm. home. As they part, the new Ofglen suddenly whispers that the old Ofglen hanged herself when she saw the van coming to arrest her. It was better, she says, and then walks quickly away. What? Alfred feels great relief when she hears that Ofglen has committed suicide. For now, Ofglen will not be able to give her name to the eyes while being tortured. If but she if... really did kill herself. Mm. Well, yeah, I guess. For the first time, Offred feels completely within the power of the authorities. She feels that she will do anything necessary to live. She'll stop resisting, stop wanting to control her body, stop seeing Nick. Like, she'll do anything. Why? Just because she's so scared of dying. Is, it wor- is dying worse than living in this terrible world, though? I guess, like, the animal part of her brain is like, yeah. <laughs> like, know? I gotta survive, yeah. Yeah. And I guess she does. She knows her daughter is alive and out there. Hmm. Um, so, from the porch, now that she's back home, Serena calls hang out. On, hang on, hang on. Can good. you hear that? Mm-mm. Oh, Brent, come here. What's he doing? He was the one doing the small meows. Aww. Oh, my God. All right, Alana. More things for you to trim. Oh, dear. Um... Yes. So Serena calls out to Offred from the porch. When Offred comes in, she holds out her own winter cloak and the sequined outfit that Offred wore to the club. <gasps> she asks Offred how she could be so vulgar and then tells Offred she is a slut like the other handmaid and will come to the same end. Okay. Nick stops whistling, but Offred does not look at him. She manages to remain calm and composed as she retreats to her room. After her confrontation with Serena, Offred waits in her room. She feels peaceful. Night creeps in and she wonders if she should use her hidden match to start a fire. (laughs) She might die from smoke inhalation, although the fire would be subdued quickly. Or she could hang herself in her room from the hooks in the closet, she thinks. Or she could wait for Serena and kill her when uh, when she opens the door of the room. However, nothing really seems to matter. In the twilight, she hears a van coming for her, and she regrets not doing something while she had the chance. As the black van pulls into the driveway, she sees the eyes painted on its side. Uh, the van pulls in and Nick opens the door of Offred's room. Offred thinks that he has betrayed her, but he whispers that she should go with the eyes. He tells her that they are in Mayday and they have come to save her. Ooh. Offred knows that he might be an eye because the eyes probably know all about Mayday. Oh, for the love of God. But this is also her last chance. She walks down the stairs to meet the men waiting for her. Serena demands to know Offred's crime. Hmm. And Offred realizes that Serena was not the one who called them. The men say they cannot tell her. The commander demands to see a warrant, and the eyes, or the or the men from Mayday, perhaps, say she's been arrested for a violation of state secrets. As Serena curses her, Offred follows the eyes into the van waiting outside, and that's the end of the story. However, there's an epilogue. Oh, thank God. Okay. And the epilogue is a transcript of a symposium held in the year 2195. Oh my God. Yes. In a university. 2195. Yes. 
And oh. it's from a university that is apparently in the Arctic. So, future times. Gilead is long gone, and Offred's story has been published as a manuscript titled The Handmaid's Tale. Her story was found recorded on a set of cassette tapes located in an army footlocker in Bangor, Maine. The main part of the epilogue, so like way far north of, of Harvard, the main part of the epilogue is a speech uh, by an expert on Gilead named Professor uh, Piek Soto, I think his name is pronounced. Professor Doodoo Face. Mm. Uh, yes. He talks about authenticating the cassette tapes. He says tapes like these would be very difficult to fake. The first section of each tape contains a few songs from the pre-Giladian period, probably to camouflage the actual purpose of the tapes. The same voice speaks on all the tapes, and they are not numbered, nor are they arranged in any particular order, so the professors who transcribed the story had to guess at the intended chronology of the tapes. Uh, this professor warns his audience against judging Gilead too harshly, uh, because such judgments are culturally biased. Aww. And he points out that the Gilead regime was under a good deal of pressure from the falling birth rate and environmental degradation. And I think it's, I think she's kind of poking fun at academia here and how they kind of like, how divorced they are from kind of the reality of what they, you know, are studying. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he was, he was saying like the birth rate there declined for a variety of reasons, including birth control, abortions, AIDS, syphilis, birth defects, and miscarriages resulting from nuclear plant disasters and toxic waste. The professor explains how Gilead created a group of fertile women by criminalizing all second marriages and non-marital relationships, uh, confiscating children of those marriages and partnerships and using the women as reproductive vessels. Using the Bible as justification, they replaced uh, what he calls serial polygamy with simultaneous polygamy. Uh (laughs) Yeah. He explains that like all new systems Gilead drew in the past in creating its ideology, and in particular, he mentions the racism that, pl- that plagued pre-Gilead, which Gilead incorporated into its doctrine. Um, so then he next discusses the identity of the narrator. And he says, scholars have tried to discover it using a variety of methods, but failed. Um, P.X. Soto notes that the historical details are scanty because so many records were destroyed in purges and civil wars. Some tapes, however, were smuggled to save the women's societies uh, in England and he says the names Offred used to describe her relatives were likely pseudonyms employed to protect the identities of her loved ones. The commander, he says, was either was likely either a man named Fre- Frederick Waterford mm. or B. Frederick Judd. Both men were leaders in the early years of Gilead and both were probably instrumental in building the society's basic structure. Judd uh, is a man who devised participation, I should say, Realizing that it would release pent-up anger in the handmaids. Um, P.X. Soto says, uh, Particutions became so popular in Gilead's middle period that they occurred four times a year. Oh, fun. Mm. Judd also came up with the notion that women should control other women, um, you know, with the aunts and everything. And P.X. Soto says, No empire lacks this control of the indigenous by members of their own group. Uh, He also explains that both Waterford and Judd likely came into contact with a virus that caused sterility in men. He says that the evidence suggests that Waterford was one, uh, that Waterford was the commander in Offred's story. Records show that in one of the earliest purges, Waterford was killed for owning pictures and books and for indulging in liberal tendencies. So, yeah, likely that's the guy. Um, And he, this professor remarks that many early commanders felt themselves above the rules, say from any attack, and that the and that the middle period commanders behaved more cautiously. So. I guess mm. the van really was 
an escape van. That's what's implied by the existence of the tapes, yeah. Yeah, because if she had the chance mm-hmm. to do those tapes, then... Yeah. But she didn't get pregnant. Um, we, don't, we just don't know. Yeah. The professor says the final fate of Offred is unknown. She may have been recaptured if she escaped to England or Canada. It's puzzling that she did not make her story public, as many women did. However, she might have wanted to protect others who were left behind, or she may have feared repercussions against her family. Right, because, I mean, presumably her daughter, she never rescued. Um, punishing the relatives of escaped handmaids was done secretly to minimize bad publicity in foreign <laughs> lands. Uh, the professor says Nick's motivation cannot be understood fully. He reveals that Nick was a member of both the Eyes and of Mayday. Ooh. So they've obviously like been able to uncover some documents about him. Double agent. And that the men he called were sent to rescue Offred. In the end, Pierre Soto says they will probably they will probably never know the real ending of Offred's story. And the novel ends with the line, are there any questions? Hmm. So many. One, how dare you? <laughs> Wasn't yeah. there like a follow-up to it? Like Yeah, so like really recently, like after the show came out, like twenty nineteen even or something, she released a book called The Testaments, um, which is from the point of view of Aunt Lydia. Oh. So it's like the story of Aunt Lydia, um I think it takes place after this chronologically. But it's kind of like how Aunt Lydia became an aunt. It is good, it's quite good. And then and then this um baby called Pearl, who is implied to be Offred's baby. Um, kind of safe in Canada. And I think the idea is that Mayday uses her. Oh, yeah, the idea of this stolen baby that, that ended up in Canada and then Gilead wants it back and then she infiltrates. Anyway, I can't really remember. But there's Leah. It's pretty good. The stuff about Aunt Lydia is really, really interesting in the way that, like, yeah, how the you... system of the aunts works. Yeah, because how it do goes you into detail on that. agree to be an aunt anyway? Like, isn't it? Ugh. Yeah, well, that's what they kind of explore. In, in the testaments. So that's pretty good as well. Oh, what a fun, depressing time today. Yeah. Yeah. We chose this book a long time ago <laughs> to do. And now we've and now we've done it. And now that's it. it. That's the handmaid's tale. That's it. Are there any questions? <laughs> are there? Yeah, are there any questions? Uh, do you yeah, do you have any thoughts? Closing thoughts? No, the show pretty much sticks to it, honestly. It just expands on some things, but it's like the show sticks to the book. Yeah, it does pretty well, and then it just kind of explores and expands on it, which was pretty. Good it doesn't well. really well, I think. Yeah, I think the show does. Yeah, really well. I yeah, I stopped watching after like a season or two just because it was just a really depressing show. To watch. <laughs> yeah, it really just took a toll on you. Mm-hmm. And I was like, how far are we really from this? <laughs> yeah, I guess that's kind of the moral of the story, right? It's like never very far. Like the the whole. You know, interviews with Margaret Atwood, should, and when she talks about it, she's like, everything I put in here is stuff that has happened. Like, maybe not at the same time, maybe not in the States. <laughs> but, like, but, like, all of these things are things that real totalitarian or religi- religious fundamentalist societies oh do. Um, and then have been done to women in in the past. And, not, and the not very distant past either, so. Fucking great. Yeah. <laughs> But it's one of those things where, you know, now just people have a... girl things. <laughs> well, I mean, just like now people have a have a frame of reference to refer to or a way, a way to talk about these kind of things. You know, like people going to 
protests of like reproductive rights dressed up as handmaids you yeah know, like they they did way back before covid when people still cared about other things handmaid's tale that was a handmaid's tale thanks for listening you can find us so on instagram just look up a literature <laughs> well how did you find this podcast am i right but like continue to find us yeah continue to find us <laughs> but like fuck that book man <laughs> yeah <laughs>